Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. So this week we have a listener question, and we thought this question was so good that it merited bringing on an excellent guest to help us answer the question. So our guest today is Ian Oswald. Hello and there. Ian, yeah, hello. And Ian is uh, known to, to me, at least, for many, many years, uh, thanks to his uh, tremendous work uh, as the co-founder of PyData London, which is a, a a massive group of fantastic data scientists and machine learning experts and uh, all kinds of other data-minded people in London. And uh, he's also the author of, I think it was two editions of a fantastic book on uh, high-performance computing. So if there's somebody who knows about data science and machine learning, it would be Ian. And here he is. We're privileged to have him. Thanks for coming, Ian. Well, thanks for inviting me. I'm very happy to be here. Super. So we have this question, and the question comes from James. And uh, here's what James ask, asks. He says, I, in our company, we have long been trying, and I love this word, uh, to de-soloify. So de-siloify. So he's trying to remove silos. I have long been trying to de-soloify data science machine learning teams and the product teams. But we have struggled with the different cadence of the two teams. Product work in quick iterations, whereas the ML team work on longer research projects, collecting and labeling data, training models, etc. When I've tried to get an ML engineer working in a cross-functional team, they have tended to work in isolation anyway. Help! Any thoughts would be appreciated. So, um, uh, I, when I read this, I said, man, I have seen this over and over and over again. It's such a common pattern. that, And not only with data science, we'll focus there today, but with teams that um, function in a different way, that um, the the quick pace, the the agile movement that that we advocate and that we talk about improving with conversations and other tools, you know, I teach people to 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 build software in one day iterations where they're releasing every single day, Elephant Carpaccio, and uh, here you got this other team that's working to a completely different cadence. It causes all kinds of trouble. Uh, Ian, I imagine you've seen this, Jeffrey. I know you've seen this. Um, what, what do you guys think about this? What What could we uh, uh, tell James about? Is he Is he alone? Is this the only place this has ever happened? So I can certainly say from the data science and machine learning side, James is not alone. Uh, this is it's endemic in the industry. Uh, anywhere, I would say, where there is not a really mature data science function that's well integrated into the business, and most of the time it's not well integrated. Whenever it's not well integrated, you have this problem, uh, and I see this a lot. Uh, as you uh, mentioned, uh, Squirrel, I, I run this PyData London group. We've got 11,000 members. It's eight years of volunteer work building up this group and I talk to a lot of my members there and this is common it's common in the UK it's common around the world it's just part of data science and I think it's part of how data science was sold as being this uh, unique uh, statistician uh, approaching all of the data and having the sexiest job of the 21st century and then delivering <laughs> high value quickly uh, which is rubbish because that doesn't at all align with how products are developed and business needs inside organizations and I think we're learning the hard way that you can't just take this individual uh, and um, turn them into a genius by leaving them in a the corner by themselves and we have to integrate them. Uh, Jeffrey what have you seen? <laughs> well, I, I think it's uh, very similar. What, what it strikes me about this is we focus on the cadence. And the word you used there was immaturity. And, and that's what came to mind for me. Um, I think that the, the, the primary uh, issue here is the relative immaturity of data science and machine learning as a profession, as, as a discipline. It, which should not be surprising. It's new, right? It's, this is, <laughs> in, in, in my career, you know, I've 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 been uh, in in uh, the computing and tech world for almost thirty years now, 
and data science and machine learning that wasn't something that we were doing in the you know early mid 90s so it's not surprising but the thing that if we come back to this cadence it, what what, it, what reinforces this idea to me is that we can see this difference in cadence just within development organizations by themselves and it comes down to the the, the discipline and maturity of different development teams and so I, for me i don't see uh, a unique difference here with the machine learning and and i think the uh way forward is in both cases the same which is to look at your tooling look at your process and and develop uh, and adopt those things that have been proven to help you know do short cycle time but it's but it's a mindset change that has to happen first it's not a technical barrier it's not people may not be using the tools but it's not because the tools can't be used it's because their thought process about how they think about the work is immature so I'll agree that it's not a technical barrier there, um, and it is much more of a, a process uh, problem. I think it's also worth reflecting that many of the people who come into data science don't come from industry. They come from academia. Part of the big cell, which come out of academia with your PhD, where you've done your PhD <laughs> in isolation for three years working on a cutting-edge problem. You get parachuted into an organization. The data's brilliant. Everything's lined up. The customers are waiting for this new genius thing that you will deliver. You hack out a solution chuck it over the wall, somebody recodes it into some kind of maintainable code, and everyone's happy, bonuses all around. And of course, that's not the reality <laughs> of how any of this works. But you know, I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious about this, uh, thinking about the academic end of this, because these individuals come out trained to work in isolation. That's their function during a PhD. It's not a super collaborative environment. Uh, you have to just peg away for three years, uh, making this thing your, your thesis work uh, and then you come into a cross-functional team and you think hang on a minute i've got to attend stand-ups what's agile why are we talking every day about our priorities i've got a three-month problem ahead of me well, what you know why are we getting in the way with these meetings um but, and i think that yeah process is wrong there sorry jeffrey go on well i just I think it's so funny because i hear that and i just say i've heard exactly the same thing from programmers you know they their their whole academic career was working on solo problems in fact i've had people say I went into computer programming so that I wouldn't need to deal with people. <laughs> <laughs> so I, the, the, um, I think that the, the paths are slightly different, but the mentality for people coming in industry is generally the same. And it's very, very common, even for people with lots of industry experience, because lots of teams work this way. Where, where I am now, I, uh, a, a mutual friend of Squirrel and I's, he's been working with a team where that, that team, everyone has worked independently in the past. And it's, it's quite a shock to say, you know, look, you need to account to the rest of us on how you're spending the time. You can't just go off and develop features on your own. <laughs> you actually need to talk to us. That, that's, that's coming as, as quite a shock. And uh, what's interesting is that th this may be the tradition in mathematics departments, certainly, which is one I was in as a graduate student, and in um, data science and computer research and so on. But uh, there is at least a tradition in some disciplines where people work together in a lab academically. So um, I wonder if there's anything we could do to um, help uh, uh, folks who are coming out of these academic institutions to give them some kind of model they might have seen. But if you're in a physics lab, for example, you might be the person who's putting together the laser and somebody else is putting together the metrics um, that you're going to use to measure the laser's output and someone else is uh, writing up the paper. There, there's a much more collaborative environment. So um, it's a side note, but I, I just wonder whether we're missing a trick here by assuming that people who come out of academia are necessarily going to be isolationist in their, in their thinking. I think that's less common than we might assume. 
but I, but I wonder if, if those, how often those things are cross-functional in, in, or in academic terms, cross-disciplinary. Mm, no, that's true. And I, and I think that's one of the issues here is that people, even if they say, well, yes, I, I'm going to share a problem with people like myself. I, I think where we get the most synergy in, in this is when we bring the different skill sets together, which often gets sometimes, you know, gets some notice in academia. Wow. When we have really productive cross-discipline collaborations, you know, great things can happen. But I don't think it's the norm. Uh, in, in either in academia or in industry, indeed, <laughs> we're, we're often in, in you and I scroll see this all the time. There are huge barriers, internal psychological barriers to cross-functional collaboration. People don't see themselves as working on a shared problem that they, they carve out their bit of the problem and want to work on it independently. So Ian, how could we do this best? How could we help data scientists looking at that, the, their side of the problem? Um, how, how could we help them to be part of cross-functional teams? Is there anything that we could be doing to improve that for, for, for them and for us? Absolutely. And so, so a couple of the functions that I take on now, one is training teams, uh, public or private classes. And one of my classes is a successful data science uh, course. So, sorry, successful data science projects uh, course, where we look at what holds you back from actually delivering things that have value to your organization and how do we fix them? And then how do we get you into a place where you can ship things correctly? Um, and a whole pile of problems come up there. Typically, the executive's given me uh, one month to deliver this thing that no one on the planet has ever seen before. We've never looked at the data. Uh, it's going to have a million pound impact on the business, but we don't even know how we're going to deploy it. Uh, and so I hide in a corner and I get on with the hard part of the problem, which is the machine learning. And then when I pop out <laughs> to the other end, it turns out there's no one to receive it and we haven't got a deployment environment. And heck, what is Docker anyway? And some software engineer said they wouldn't do acceptance testing if I hadn't written any unit tests. And I've never written one of those. Um, and, you, and that also goes back to academia. Academia. Uh, in academia, you're um, prized for your publications. No one is prized for the number of unit tests they write or the code quality <laughs> they have. So nobody writes good code. That's you know, it's not encouraged. It's 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 actually uh, you don't get funding to write good code in academia. I'm sure that does happen, but that's typically not the case. Um, and so that whole mindset comes out. Um, and then when you get to this uh, this notion of a cross-functional team and someone's given this hard problem to go and do, and they go and isolate themselves and they're left in isolation because they're doing the smartest job of the 21st century, uh, and then it ends in tears, <laughs> uh, you've got to wonder, well, heck, you know, how do we join these bits together? Uh, and one of the, for me, um, one of my realizations some years ago, I mean, I often work in different verticals, different organizations. I don't know what they're doing and i'm tasked with helping build up a team and deliver solutions uh, and so in insurance for example i turned around and said look i don't even understand the acronyms that you're using and you've asked me to take on a thing that's going to compete with an internal business unit with 20 years experience how do you train me up uh, as quickly as possible to at least understand the business and so i ended up going to lloyds of london and sitting in the box and watching watching insurance forms being filled in and then watching the data being typed in and then pulling up the customer surveys uh, for their insurance quotes on the other side and then comparing it with the database data that was on the other side of that, which didn't necessarily align with the things that I saw on the paper, and then just tracing the data all the way through the process up until the point where I thought myself or one of my colleagues would be trying to, uh, to build a model on it, and then stepping back and saying, hang on a minute. We've got to sit with a business on this. We can't sit in the corner building clever data science models when we don't know the acronyms, the data's not actually in the database. People have these unrealistic expectations. So for me, one of the biggest tips uh, is always 
go and sit with the business, go and learn their business, get some vertical specialization, understand how things might be uh, deployed, how they might be used, where the resistance to all of that is. And all of that has got nothing to do with building my next regressor or machine learning classifier or whatever it is I might want to actually go and build. These are all human factors. Um, but data science can't be unique there. So what have you seen uh, from the tech side um, with, with that kind of issue? Oh, one of my favorite things is to get developers to go answer telephone calls on customer service. Right. Then they, they often learn an awful lot about uh, how their code <laughs> is, is used in the real world. Um, but uh, here, here, what you've advised there, Ian, sounds fantastic. Um, get uh, data scientists geed up, excited, interested to go see the people in the business. That sounds great as an exhortation to data scientists. James, send the developers like... with them. Send the developers yeah. with them. It's the same <laughs> thing. This is this is this is my position. Is that data science, yes. machine learning is not a different discipline. It is software development. Sorry, software is eating the world. You know, the, the, and and exactly, I I loved your story, and, and it's exactly like I'm thinking. Oh, this is you know a Gemba walk. <laughs> you know, go go and see what's actually happening, and and it's that that it goes back here again. This is what good, mature, you know, uh, software development teams do, which is they learn the discipline, they learn the domain. They don't just think of themselves as some separate entity. They're like, no, of course, we need to understand the business, and 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 then from there they can apply their skills. But it starts with like, oh yeah, we actually need to understand the problem. We should be talking to our users, and. If it's going to be a, a data science machine learning problem, you probably need to have both the data scientists and the developers there at the same time. They should be looking at the same forms, talking about the same problem, because solving solving it is probably going to involve both of their skills. Because that in that translation from form to data, you're, you're quite likely to have some software involved that the software developers are writing, and it's and it's the the collaboration between the two of them is what for me gets really exciting. So I love that process. You know, just like send, just send two of them <laughs> rather than just one. Sounds perfect to me. I'd almost agree um, that it's just software development. Something else I teach in my class is that uh, when we think about the data science development journey, it's not just that we have uncertainty in the product requirement, so the user doesn't necessarily know what they actually need, and that needs to be discovered. And it's not just that we have uncertainty in how we'll implement it technically, so which database, which choice of JavaScript framework or whatever else, but also we have uncertainty in the data itself. Do we have the right kind of data? Is it complete? Does it lie? Does it change over <laughs> That's time? Right. Yes, and absolutely. it's that third component adds another layer of multiplicative uncertainty, which just makes your estimate go all over the place. It's only when you've actually looked into the data and you can figure out, hey, actually, I've got the stuff that will predict the thing that we want to put in the user interface. And so it's worth thinking about our deployment schedule. Uh, you know, that, that makes it even more complex. And a lot of data scientists, because they don't have a software engineering background, they're not thinking that actually this is it is distinctly a bit different to developing a technical product where we know how many characters there are in these strings, and that's kind of all we care about. We care about the semantics of the data on top of that. So is this string actually a valid company name that matches an extant company in the UK company's house such that we can do a credit score, look up against it? And if it isn't, well, what do we do with it? It's just a random string at that point. <laughs> uh, and so you've, you've really got to tease that out as well as another angle here. But at the end of the day, this is just the data scientist sitting back and saying, hey, I'm wearing my business hat. What does this mean? And what do we want to do with it? And you know, I, I can't build uh, any kind of machine learning model if I don't understand what the data is behind it. So I totally agree. Send two of them together. That's brilliant. 
I, I, I have good, I have good news for you. And we have a complete data set and it's totally clean here. Go build your model all on it. And don't worry, because we backfilled all the data. So it'll be great. <laughs> you lie. You lie. I've heard that so many times. I cry every time. The other one is, oh, we haven't looked at our data, but I'm sure it's great. At which point I just run screaming out of the building. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, I just want to come back to James's question before we close. And <laughs> and James James asked us, uh, he said, uh, look, uh, he, he kind of pre-anticipated pre, uh, our possible answer. He said, look, I know cross-functional teams are important. And I put a, a machine learning person on a cross-functional team. And, and, and he just worked in isolation anyway. So my, I wonder, Ian, what, what would you do? What would you counsel James to do? What might he have, uh, uh, what could he do better? to help make sure that uh, he doesn't encounter that problem again. Okay, so forcing team members to act as a team is one thing. So uh, when I, I've just been doing this with an insurance company, uh, teaching the team that when one person is given a problem, they should do a mini presentation to the rest of the team. The rest of the team's job is to try to poke holes in the project assignment to find out why it might go wrong, because 90% of the time it's going to go wrong. So let's figure out up front why it's going to wrong so we can do something about it. And then report frequently across the team. So all the data scientists and any other people get involved in some light reporting quite frequently. Hopefully, images, diagrams, graphs get produced that show the signal in the data. So we get the, the product owner and the end client thinking not just this is what I think is in the data, and it's obvious because there's humans on the other side, and I talk to those humans, but actually this is the data in the database and what it is telling us from the data scientist view. And then you can have a nice conversation. Um, and points that I know you've made from listening to your uh, previous podcasts uh, about uh, releasing early, releasing often, I mean, that mantra just makes sense, uh, getting the simplest pod possible data science solution out, which is probably a couple of if-then-else rules at the beginning as simple as that, uh, and then showing that, hey, we've got an answer. I mean, I'm not going to train my neural, neural network on day well, one. That's <laughs> it. Let, let's not jump to deep learning. I get so upset when people jump to deep learning because it's what the Wired magazine told them to go and do. No, just go and do some if-then-else rules. Ask the client what the heuristics are because the client knows what the heuristics are. Uh, and then you've got a baseline. You've got a benchmark to start working against. And when it turns out your data is incomplete and it lies and it's drifted over time, then your benchmarks don't work anymore, at which point you know you can't do any better because you've got to go and fix your data. But you only get that by having these conversations, little presentations, exposing your results, iterating uh, with the client uh, and making sure all of this gets exposed. So for me, it's all about encouraging collaboration in whatever form it can take um, and not leaving people in isolation. The biggest mistake, I think, is to leave people in isolation. Okay. So go drag, drag your data scientists to see some customers and um, put, put them in front of everyone to, to talk uh, about their graphs and charts and what they're seeing. I do want to add one, one bit here in this. People need to look at this whole system as a shared problem. And uh, and it's, you know, I've, we often said here on the podcast, a team are people who share a problem. And so the root cause, the reason that there's a lack of collaboration here is that the different people don't see themselves as a shared, having a shared problem. Even like the data problem here, it's like that software developers need to spend time in the data mines <laughs> with, with, with the data scientists to make sure that they have, you know, a clean uh, a set of data, that they know that whole history of how it got from the form to the data set and and to be building the system that's needed so that you have integrity along along the way and reproducibility so the bringing the concerns from the data scientists to be a shared problem with the developers and them jointly taking a whole system view uh, it's it's not the i think there is a lot of work to be done here on the on the development side as well that there is more systems thinking and then they should see that the the data scientist machine learning part is part of that same system and those concerns are shared
Fantastic. Okay. Ian, where can people find more Ian? Uh, so uh, people can find more Ian uh, via ianosvold.com. So that's I-A-N-O-Z-S-V-A-L-D.com. Uh, and Ian Oswald is on Twitter and LinkedIn and GitHub and a bunch of other places. All of my presentations, many of my presentations are public uh, and open source of open source conferences. They're all on my blog. So that's I-A-N-O-Z-S-V-A-L-D.com uh, and everything that hangs off of there. Fantastic. That link will be in the show notes as well. So we don't want any of our, our listeners to, to crash their cars while, uh, or, or run <laughs> off the road as they're jogging. Uh, I'm trying to write that down because I, I can never remember which way to spell Oswald. Don't worry, it's in the show notes. So you can have a look there. Excellent. Ian, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, we really enjoyed James's questions. So, of course, we really like it when listeners send us questions like this. It gives us a chance to talk to wonderful people like Ian. So uh, please send yours. And uh, in, in fact, if you disagree, if you think that this method isn't the right way to, to help data scientists like the one James is working with, uh, then please disagree with us. Uh, let us know. You can find us at agileconversations.com. You'll find free videos and uh, material to work on and, and dojo instructions and all kinds of other great stuff and our Twitter and email and other ways to get in touch with us. And of course, we'll be back again next Wednesday here uh, on Troubleshooting Agile. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Grohl. And thank you, Ian. Thank you very much for having me. It's been fun. <laughs>